It is hockey week. Hockey week. He was the guy trying to steal away your Islanders. And here he is <laughs> a decade later. He's the guy who built your arena. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please seek me out on Twitter, A Gross Newsday. Episode 41 of Island Ice, uh, or as I think of it, the Tom Seaver episode for those of us of a certain age and uh, uh, Mr. Met leaving an indelible mark on our childhood. But uh, uh, more so than episode 41, it's really, you know, and I've said this a couple of times, back to work episodes, whatever, it is hockey week, hockey week. There are hockey games. There are hockey games in Toronto. There are hockey games in Edmonton. But specifically, we'll talk about the New York Islanders exhibition game against the New York Rangers on Wednesday night and what that means heading into their best-of-five qualifying series against the Florida Panthers, which begins on August 1st, Saturday. And, uh jam-packed show here. Um, Like I said, we're going to delve into uh, the exhibition game a little bit. We're going to uh, delve into the roster the Islanders brought to their Hub City bubble in Toronto and some of the roster choices they made. And then in a little bit, we're also going to talk to Islanders co-owner John Ledecky and Oakview Group Executive Officer Tim Lewicki. The two of them will be discussing uh, UBS Arena, the Islanders' uh, new barn at Belmont Park, and uh, everything that went into that. So uh, a little bit of a discussion with Mr. Ledecky and Lewicki. And then after that, we're going to talk to my Newsday teammate, who's been all over the arena issue for the Islanders, Jim Baumbach, we've had on the show a few times, always a good listen, so I hope you'll stick around for that, and uh, before getting to any of it, as uh, you know, we we continue to see coronavirus, you know, just wreaking havoc uh, across the U.S., best wishes to everyone's uh, health and safety and your family's safety and your friend's safety, um, you know, and here's to everyone being socially responsible and helping all of us to uh, get through this pandemic. But uh, like I said, it is almost, almost, almost happy, 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 happy hockey time. And w- when the puck drops in Toronto at Scotiabank Arena uh, for the Islanders Rangers uh, exhibition game on Wednesday night. It will be 141 days. That's one four one. 141 days since the Islanders last played a hockey game, and that was their 5-4 shootout loss at Vancouver on March 10th. So uh, a, a long stretch, a 141-day stretch of uncertainty and, and just not knowing. For a long time, whether or not this season would be able to continue and resume, and uh, you know, 
by all accounts, talking to uh, Barry Trotz and uh, uh, some Islander players as they settled into their bubble. Uh, everyone praising uh, the job that both uh, the NHL and the NHL Players Association has done to create the safest atmosphere and the safest environment uh, for the players. And again, you know, you, you see the issues that Major League Baseball had uh, this week with the outbreak amongst the Miami Marlins and a, a Yankees game being canceled and, uh, and the Marlins home opener game uh, being canceled. And, and now so much, uh, it seems, uncertainty as to whether MLB will be able to continue um, as they try and play uh, as close to a normal season as possible right now, meaning normal, meaning they're playing in their home ballparks and teams are traveling from city to city. And uh, uh, the jury's still out on whether that is tenable um, or realistic. But, uh, you know, it really does seem like all the NHL and the NHL PA's hard work is going to come to fruition. The league on Monday released its weekly uh, COVID-19 testing report and uh, uh, zero positive tests for the last week of phase three, the formal training camps held at the 2014 facilities. That is a zero um, positive test for that week. Um, Overall, for the two weeks of phase three, uh, training camps opening on July 13th, overall with more than 800 players participating, uh, you had two positive tests for coronavirus. So uh, the 24 teams all traveled safely and got into their bubble cities, the Western Conference going to Edmonton and the Eastern Conference uh, heading to Toronto. So uh, now they're all in the bubble. And uh, you would think if they are you know, following all the health and safety protocols put into place within that quarantined arena, hotel, practice rink, uh, you know, bubble that, that's that been created, you would think um, the, the exposures would be limited. Uh, nothing, of course, is a certainty, and the players still need to be you know, vigilant and responsible. But, uh, you know, so far, so good. And, and, you know, as I've said, and as everyone said, and I'm sure you're thinking, you know, it will be good to see uh, you know, hockey games. It will be good to see the puck sliding around the ice. And for the Islanders, it will be good, and and, and for all the teams, really. Um, but since this is an Islanders podcast, we're uh, focusing on this. It will be good for the Islanders to see an opponent and not play these inter-squad scrimmages and not continually practice against themselves Folks, it, it was getting old for the team. It really was. Two weeks of training camp, and, you know, in two weeks, yeah, it goes by quickly. They had 11 practice days out in East Meadow um, at the Northwell Health Ice Center, um, and they had five scrimmages in those 11 practice days. But really, if you think about uh, this training camp 2.0 compared to, uh, you know, a, a normal training camp that's held in September before a season, uh, you get you get the guys on the ice, you know, for four days of, of, of hard practices, but then you get right into the exhibition, the preseason schedule, and you play six preseason games, so it never really gets stale going up against, uh, 
your own teammates time and time again. And uh, uh, I, I do think it got a little bit stale by the end of uh, two weeks out in East Meadow. And, and, and also there are things you can do in, in an exhibition game, a preseason game. You know, it, it's tough to call this a preseason game since it's, you know, <laughs> still technically middle of the regular season going into the playoffs. But w- whatever, you know, call it an exhibition game. You, you can get your timing back on the physicality. And, and, and the physical part of hockey is just, as we all know, so crucial. I mean, as much as scoring goals, your aim as a team is to wear down an opponent over three periods. You know, to just kind of take their will to compete away, hit after hit after hit, check by check by check. And that's just something you cannot replicate in inter-squad scrimmages, and, and, and the reason is simple, you know, I, I don't know if I have to explain this, you, know, you don't want to injure your teammates, you know, so, you know, for instance, the uh, the Casey Zizekas, Matt Martin, uh, Cal Clutterbuck line that, you know, makes its bread and butter by being annoying four-checkers and just being always hard on the body, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pulling up, they're not running people into the boards they're not smashing things up in the corner they're they're not agitating during these scrimmages so i'm sure those three as much as anyone are looking forward to being on the ice uh against the uh uh the rangers to let out a little bit of that aggro right you know (laughs) just let off a little steam as it was but you know also uh, you know and and the pace was good through Islanders training camp. It really was. Barry Trotz had him skating hard, except for one of the the five scrimmages, one of the 11 practice days, um, you know, which is, I want to say that falls within acceptable uh, margins because as a coach, you always want your practices to be something you're happy with. But, But Barry really only didn't like one day of work the Islanders put in in a scrimmage. He thought their uh, uh, their details, and this was towards the end of the first week. I think it was the second scrimmage they had, um, or actually maybe it was the third, second or third, but it was the, the first time they actually wore their game uniforms. Um, and, and Barry just thought the details slipped and, you know, they were loose defensively, you know, not as smart and crisp with their passing, just getting into a, a, a few sloppy habits. But, uh, you know, they rebounded. Barry was very happy with their next day's work and he was happy with all the remaining scrimmages. But but now, you know, it, it's an ascending scale and it's going to get ramped up against the Rangers and, uh, you know, um, it's got to get ramped up quickly because you go right into elimination games. You know, again, stating the obvious, normal training camp, yeah, you play these six preseason games. And then you play an 82-game regular season to, to, to get you geared up for the postseason run. Um, now it's this one exhibition game. And, you know, don't get me wrong, the, the, the players were, were thrilled and, and management was thrilled that the NHL was able to even schedule, you know, the, these one exhibition games 
for each team. And the NHL did it smart. It's all regional. So, you know, the New York teams are playing, the the Florida teams are playing, the Lightning and the Panthers. So you, you got these natural rivals going against each other, and that should get the blood boiling a little bit quicker, too, uh, as you gear up towards the start of the qualifying series. And uh, uh, again, on the, on the next episode of Island Ice, we'll really delve into that Islanders uh, series against the uh Florida Panthers I got a couple of guests lined up one uh you know one to talk about the Islanders one to talk about the Panthers please tune into that but uh like I said you know a game against the Rangers and I know it's going to be an exhibition game and there there are going to be certain things that Barry Trotz is experimenting with and for instance both goalies, Semyon Varlamov and Thomas Grice, are going to see time in net. And then Barry is going to make his final decision as to who gets the the game one start against the, uh, the Florida Panthers. And there are certainly cases to be made uh, for both of these goalies. Both have had success against the, uh, the Panthers in the past. Um, for instance, you know, Thomas Grice, the, uh, uh, in, in the 2016 playoffs against the, uh, Panthers, uh, first round series, the Islanders won in six games to advance out of the first round since, uh, for the first time since 1993. Uh, Thomas Grice was, uh, you know, brilliant. As I look at the numbers here, he went, uh, let's see, he compiled a one point seven nine goals against average over the six games and a nine four four save percentage and, and those are really good um and, and this season he won his two starts against the Panthers compiling a 1.00 goals against average and a nine seven two save percentage um so you know and he's five two one uh career against the Panthers uh, with the 210 goals against average and a 930 save percentage and those are all really good numbers and, and Varlamov uh has yet to face the Panthers in the playoffs but he is 8-3 and 1 lifetime against them and and his numbers are are, are pretty good too a 2.65 goals against and a uh 922 save percentage and uh you know uh this season uh he made uh 35 saves. Uh, he got the first start against the Panthers, a 3-2 shootout win at the Coliseum on October 12th. Grice then made 37 saves in a 2-1 win at uh, Barclays Center on November 9th. And uh, Grice made 32 saves in a 3-1 win at Florida on December 12th. That was really, you know, a, a one-goal game. Adam Pellick with the uh, empty netter with uh, 3.0 seconds left. So really, three one-goal games and uh, the goaltending uh, sort of making a difference in, in all three games against the Panthers. So, you know, Barry Trotz says he can't make a bad decision between these two guys when it comes to starting game one against the Panthers. Um, he he sort of knows which way he's going to go. Um, and, you know, the, this game against the uh, the Rangers, he says, is it will make maybe a, a little impact on his decision. You know, I, I'm sure if one of the two goalies just has an awful game, uh, that might impact it more. But I, I don't necessarily expect that. Um, as far as the the roster here that the Islanders brought to Toronto, and again, NHL teams, uh, the, the rosters were set at 31 players. 
And uh, all along, the question was whether Ilya Sorokin was going to count against that 31 or not, um, or just against the 52-person traveling party that uh, each team brought to their hub city. And when all is said and done, uh, Ilya Sorokin did count against the 31. He's, so he's coming as a, a fourth goalie, even though he is ineligible to play in any of these games. You know, Sorokin has the uh, the, the one-year entry-level deal for this season at 925000 that will be burned. Um, but then uh, the Islanders, again, also signing him to a one-year $2 million extension for 2021. So a- at some point, Lou Lamorello, the Islanders' president and general manager, said uh, Ilya Sorokin would come and join the team in Toronto to uh, basically practice and get acclimated to NHL life, even though, you know, uh, the, the, the bubble life isn't necessarily uh, the, the, the usual normal for the NHL, but, but also mainly to start working uh, on the ice with director of goaltending Mitch Korn and uh, goalie coach Piero Greco and, and start getting acclimated that way, uh, you know, Korn and uh, Piero just can't wait to start working with Ilya Sorokin, and I'm sure it's likewise. So, in effect, the Islanders have 30 active players up in Toronto, and uh, that that breaks down as 17 forwards, 10 defensemen, and, and the three active goalies, which would be Varlamov, Grice, and Christopher Gibson as a, a backup to the backup. Now, if you go back, I wrote a column, I forget when it was written, it was sometime in June, um, certainly before training camp, but uh, I, I made my projections for for the Islanders roster going to Toronto, what, what I thought it would be, and I almost 100% nailed it. Where I missed out on, on batting a 1,000 was in the count, because at the time there was some issue as to whether Sorokin, like I said, would count against the 31 or not, or, or if the Islanders could bring unlimited goalies. Um, so I counted Sorokin amongst the goalies as a fourth goalie, which turns out to be correct, but I did not have him counting against the maximum, which I also thought might be the case uh, with the goalies. So I included Kiefer Bellows amongst the forwards. So I had 18 forwards, 10 defensemen, and uh, and the four goalies. And it turns out the Islanders, because Sorokin does count against the 31, uh, they opted to take 10 defensemen, which uh, I, I always thought Barry, and, and Barry said this when I asked him, can you not ever have enough defensemen? Barry said, no, you can never have enough defensemen. So to me, Bringing Sebastian Ajo as a 10th defenseman with, you know, uh, Thomas Hickey probably as a ninth defenseman, uh, you know, does that make Andy Green and Noah Dobson 7 and 8? Are they going to bump out one of the uh, the top six pairs, uh, Adam Pellick? No, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak will be the top pair. But, you know, uh, amongst Devontae's and Scott Mayfield, or Nick Letty, Johnny Boychuk, will will Andy Green and or Noah Dobson slot in for any of those uh, other four? Um, I, I'm not quite sure to start, even though Andy Green and Noah Dobson had a strong uh, camp. Um, but you know they're uh, they're not bad alternatives uh, in, in case 
Um, but again, you know, uh, I always thought the Islanders were going to bring those that that tenth defenseman uh, in Sebastian Aho, and that's the way it worked out. Um, you know, and and it seems, you know, whether you want to say they took Aho at the expense of Bellows or they took Sorokin at the expense of Bellows, I I I do feel like Bellows. Although you'd never get the Islanders to say this, um, I I would think. Kiefer Bellows would have been the next guy in uh, if they could have slotted him. The uh, the the training camp cuts, uh, the guys who participated in training camp but did not make the uh, uh, the qualifying series and playoff series roster were uh, goalie Jacob Skarek, and he was not expected to to do so. Uh, defenseman Grant Hutton again. I I, I don't think anyone expected them to take Grant Hutton up there. Uh, and then it was Bellows and uh, fellow rookie and fellow first rounder, uh, Oliver Wallstrom. And, uh, you know, maybe some thought, you know, that either Wallstrom or Bellows, you know, uh, the scoring that either one could bring, could potentially bring, uh, based on how they played down in Bridgeport, um, might have made them attractive. But there just wasn't that 18th forward position. So uh, for the record here, state the forwards are. And uh, Matthew Barzell, the, the top line of Barzell, Eberle, and uh, Jordan Eberle, and Anders Lee. And then you got uh, Brock Nelson, who skated with Josh Bailey and uh, Anthony Beauvillier at times. You got Derek Broussard and uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Uh, on a third line, um, so if I just I'm getting myself all confused going, uh, the the forwards of Brazil, Everly, Lee, Bailey, Beauvillier, Broussard, I, I like alphabetical. Sezikis, Clutterbuck, uh, Dalcole. Uh, refer back to last episode to see if I uh, pronounced Dalcole correctly or not. Ross Johnson, Otto Koivula, Leo Komarov, who was wearing a full face shield uh, through training camp, and he joined the team really just right at the very end uh, for the first time for full practices um, after, uh, you know, uh, suffering an apparent facial injury during uh, phase two, the voluntary small group workouts that had begun on June 8th. Um, so Leo Komarov comes, Tommy Kuhnhockel comes, Andrew Ladd, Matt Martin, Brock Nelson, and uh, uh, J.G. Pajot. And really, uh, you know, I, I think 11 of the 12 forwards who are going to be in the game one lineup are set, and that will would be top line of Lee Barzell, Everly. Um, and you got Nelson paired with Bailey. Um, I, I think Beauvillier will be on that line, and if not, Beauvillier will be with Broussard and Pajot. And then you got your uh, identity-setting uh, fourth line with Sezikis between Martin and Clutterbuck. So the really the question is, you know, that, that wing on the line that Anthony Beauvillier is not on. So, you know, either a wing for Nelson or a wing for Pajot. And, and that is your roster. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there was a lot of Twitter debate is, you know, why Bellows was not on. And, you know, I, I, I'm hoping, you know, even if you don't like uh, that rationale, I, I hope maybe it's a little bit more understandable why Kiefer Bellows did, did not make the cut there. But uh, we're, we're going to move on from on the ice action. And we're, we're going to talk about 
uh, new ice and new arenas and, uh, you know, the NHL's return to play here. As I, as I chat with, uh, it's my pleasure to chat with Islanders co-owner John Ledecky and Oakview Group Executive Officer Tim Lywicki. And to both of you, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, let me start, John, just kind of a, you know, a, an over-encompassing question, but getting not only a, a deal, a naming corporate, you know, sponsorship deal for, for the arena at Belmont with UBS, but locking it up for, for 20 years, um, that is a really significant amount of time, a 20-year deal. What what kind of you know advantage does the the organization now have as a result of that you know kind of certainty and and, and can you talk maybe a little bit about the uh, organization's valuation uh, as a result of this? Well, I think first of all, thank you for having us on your podcast. Great fan of yours. Read your columns for the podcast. So thank you, Andrew. In terms of your question. Um, it's, it's an unbelievable day for Islander fans to have a global financial institution and UBS endorse the Islanders, endorse the community, and endorse this $1.5 billion private project at Belmont Park is extraordinary. Uh, UBS has a third of its workforce in the New York community, and what they were interested in was the Islanders' commitment to the community. Scott Malkin and I have said that we're stewards of a great franchise that we're blessed to be owners of, um, and I think that resonated with the UBS top management. They're very community focused. So whether it's our Hockey with a Heart program or our Islanders Children's Foundation or the fact that 10,000 construction jobs have been created at Belmont, 3,000 permanent jobs with 30% of those jobs going to people in the Elmont community, um, those are things that really weighed in their minds to endorse our arena. In, in addition, the fact that there'll be $25 billion of economic activity um, I'm going to turn it over to Tim because I think Tim, who negotiated this great deal, really felt that UBS understood what this would mean to the New York economy. Tim, can you add a couple of thoughts there? Because I think you articulated so well. Well, I, I think in these times when we, we've been through the impact of the virus, what it's doing to our economy, most people would go run and hide. And what UBS did is they doubled down. And they stepped up and one, they, they understood we're going to build one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive arenas built in the NHL, but certainly one of the most expensive and best arenas in the New York metro area. And we're doing it in the middle of all of this. So they felt like it was critical to ultimately have a chance to help put New York back on its feet, put 10,000 people to work on the construction site, 3,000 people to work with the arena once it opens. And most importantly, and it's something that I am, am very proud of them for, we all wanted to send a positive news story out to New York that this too shall pass, we will recover, and we're going to thrive. And so to have a company that's internationally this big, this well-respected, and this recognized, and making the bet on the Islanders, on Long Island, on this project. At this time, it is an amazing compliment back to what I still think is the greatest, most important city on the face of the earth, and we will get back to normal again. 
And uh, John or, or Tim, um, I, I saw pictures of the, you know, the, uh, the girders for the roof uh, on site the other day. Um, I'm assuming, you know, getting, you know, starting to, to top it off is a significant step in the construction. Uh, by all accounts, everything's still on track for October or November 21 for UBS Arena? It is. So, um, again, our contractor, Hunt, has done an amazing job. We lost a couple of months when everything shut down, when we were at the worst ebb of the virus. They have been remarkable with Sterling at getting us back up and trying to get us closer to the timeline. So we were fortunate enough that Jeff Wilpon and, and the Sterling folks joined this endeavor early on. They're the project manager. Jeff and the Wilpon family are one of the investors. But what we've been able to do with Hunt and Sterling is make up the time lost when we struggled for two months with the virus. We redid and sanitized the site to make sure everyone is safe. We haven't had any issues or occurrences since. Hey, John, I, I've heard you say a couple of times, you know, the Islanders are going from the barn to the bank. And uh, I, I guess the, uh, the, the nickname for this place, you, you'd like it to be the bank? I think the nickname will be whatever the fans come up with. You know, uh, Islander fans and I have this wonderful relationship because I walked around the Coliseum all, all during this past season with one mission in mind, to meet as many fans as I could every game. I probably touched two or 3,000 fans in conversation. And I said, we're building this new arena for you. What do you want to see? And the number one thing they came back with, Andrew, was we don't want to lose the intimacy of the bowl. So to the architect's credit and to Tim's credit, we will have the, the largest lower bowl seating capacity of any arena in the, in the NHL. And Alex Ovechkin, when I met him at a wedding of a mutual friend's daughter, he said to me, wow, the Nassau Coliseum is my favorite building. I feel like I'm on top of the fans. They're yelling and screaming at me, but it's great. Please don't lose that when you build your new building. So we're picking that up, that part of Nassau, and we're moving it over to the UBS arena but we're leaving behind the 30-minute wait to use the men's room, the ladies' room. We're leaving behind the 20-minute wait for a cold hot dog. And we're going to use 5G technology and all the different modern apps to drive folks to be able to do um, in convenience what they didn't have at NASA. So, for example, using Amazon Go technology, you'll be able to walk in, grab a, grab a beer that you can actually pour yourself. You'll be able to grab food that you want, and you'll walk right out. And the Amazon Go technology, will, if you've signed up, will capture your, your purchase. That's unprecedented in sports. So we're trying to use technology to drive innovation and to give the fans an experience they can't get anywhere else in the world. Are, are there any concessions, since we're speaking about concessions, any concessions that are going to have to be made in the future? And I know it's so hard to predict what's going to happen with this pandemic, but in terms of you know, when people are in the building, you know, does anything have to be altered in terms of self-service type stuff just, you know, uh, for, for health and safety protocol reasons? So we, uh, I'll divide that into two. Do, do I think at the end of the day, by the time we open up the UBS arena, we'll still be going through uh, social distancing, mask, et cetera? Uh, I hope not, and I pray not. Um, the virus has its own timeline. But I believe we have some of the smartest scientists and doctors in the world 
working on not only the treatment, but the vaccine. And everything we're hearing, including we get uh, the privilege of getting some updates from the Gates Foundation. We do believe we're going to get ahead of this. We're going to get um, beyond this. And by next year, especially by the time we're opening, we'll have it in a box. We'll have it contained. But we should learn our lesson here. We live in a global world. New York is the most of global cities. It's the most important city in the world. So the, the fact is that as we go on in this small little planet that we live in, we'll have more of these types of issues. The, the, there will be other viruses and there will be other issues. So we've dedicated ourselves in the design of the building to be very focused on wellness and health. We are joining the Wellness Institute to be certified on hitting the standards necessary to make sure that people are confident when they go in the building that we're doing the right things on sanitization. We're working with ME Engineering on more air circulation, cleaner air circulation, more frequent air circulation. We're working with Amazon, as John said, on grab and go. So you don't have to go do a direct interaction with an employee or at a cash register at a point of purchase. You could grab and go and never have to worry about that. There will be new standards that will make it better and will make it easier. But most of all, a minimum commitment, <coughs> pardon me, to certification. Well, I, I appreciate that, Tim. Uh, that, that, that is good to hear. And, um, uh, you know, I know when the Will Ponds opened City Field, uh, they tried to give it a little bit of an Ebbets Field with that rotunda. Any touches like that? You, you could care to touch upon at UBS Arena to, you know, that that's going to tie in the, the, the current arena to some of the Islanders history? I think there'll be plenty of odes to Islander history throughout the arena. There'll be eight sports bars that you can actually watch the game from, which is cool. We'll have a standing section, not only for the Blue and Orange Army, but a second section for fans who want to stand and have that experience. Um, we're going to have more clubs than any other arena. But most importantly, I think the aesthetic that Scott Malkin, uh, who is, as Tim has indicated, a master real estate developer, he really wants the Belmont UBS arena to be an ode to the greatness of New York. And so you're going to see elements of all the great architectural, magnificent buildings in the New York metropolitan area. You're going to have an entrance hall that might remind you of the Great Hall at Grand Central Station. You're going to have other elements that would remind you of the King Cole Bar at the St. Regis Hotel. Um, you're going to have elements that will remind people that there were so many great events at the Belmont racetrack. So I think we've melded together an arena that's rich in history, although ultra modern and third generation. And I think the fans are gonna be very impressed. Some of the stuff we're keeping under wraps because we want it to be a surprise to the fans. But I think um, really taking this project on, we're sparing no expense, we're privately financing it, um, we're building that Long Island Railroad Station. We want people from New York, metropolitan area, to feel they can come. So Southern Connecticut, they can drive straight in. Metropolitan New York, Grand Central Station, 31-minute bullet train. Penn Station, 30-minute bullet train. Um, car hailing services, car sharing services like Uber and Lyft with a dedicated place. So you walk out. Maybe you took the train back from New York. Now you want to go home. You don't want to take the train again. You jump into a car. The whole experience of the campus is to make the fans feel special and to give them a reason post-pandemic to get out of their house, get off their sofa, get off their easy chair, 
and come and enjoy this magnificent place. But it, I think, John, what we can share is one tidbit, which we haven't really talked about with anyone else. And John mentioned it briefly. So I've been uh, fortunate enough to be coming to New York for 40 years plus of my career. My company has an office now in New York and, and quite a bit of our operations are out of there. I love the great historic bars of New York. There's no place that does it better. And so when you think about the King Cole bar, or when you think about the, the old Oak bar, you think about those are the classic places that people go that share memories. We see them in movies. And there's many places that have tried to emulate that experience in that environment. So we thought, how cool would it be that you take those bars that are renowned and famous in New York, we recreate that experience in a club that ultimately stares directly at the stage for music and for hockey it's on one end so that you can sit in this great environment have this history and traditional feel of those clubs and maybe have the greatest seat in all of new york for sports and music by trying to steal an idea and recreate an idea from those classic bars so we've <clears throat> we've integrated that into the campus we've tried to honor the history and tradition of the Belmont race track in, in that building. We, we've obviously also tried to take those experiences and do something really dynamic with trying to create special places in the building where people will look at and go, that is singularly the best place to go watch a concert in all of New York. Uh, that, sounds, uh, that sounds cool. You know, looking forward to that. Although I, I don't get out of the press box much, but uh, hey, uh, Tim, is there any updates you can share regarding uh, Oakview Group and uh, any negotiations with Nassau County and, and potentially taking over management of the Coliseum? And you know, kind of before the Islanders get to UBS Arena, you know, there is the question of you know what's going to happen next season. So. We, we, in conjunction with the Islanders, we, we are staying in touch with Nassau County. They, they understand, as does the governor, who's also encouraged us to be part of the solution here, that there is a place for Nassau Coliseum long term. So we, we are certainly interested in playing a role to help with the vision for Nassau short term for the Islander games. It's 100% where John, Scott, Lou and the team want to play next year but long term we actually have an idea on what to do with that building that we think fits nicely into the UBS arena and that combining the two creates two of the best facilities in all of New York for music and entertainment live entertainment and so we we have offered that up we've offered to put some money behind it what we don't want to do is inherit bad decisions that were made in the past we're prepared to make new capital commitments and a new vision for where we go going forward so that Nassau Coliseum is a complement to UBS Arena. Hey, John, you, uh, you confident the Islanders are playing at the Collie next season? 1,000%. I think that um, Governor Cuomo, it's, a, it's an important initiative for him. Laura Curran, the Nassau County Executive, has given many reassurances that She's focused like a laser on making that happen. And quite frankly, it doesn't even enter my mind that we'd be playing somewhere else, Andrew. That would be good to hear. It'd be good to get 
one more season in at the barn. And I, I just want to finish, and I thank you so much, John Ledecky and Tim Lewicki, for your time here. Uh, John, just, you know, the, the Islanders are going to be playing a game on Wednesday night, and they're, they're, they're into the qualifying series. You know, you, were, you worked with Governor Cuomo on, on a return to play and with the Commissioner Gary Bettman. Just, you know, how, how meaningful is this that this is coming to fruition finally? Well, it's a, it's a salute to Commissioner Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Daly that they were so thoughtful working with their organization to figure out how could we first and foremost take care of the players. Player safety is paramount. And I think being smart and figuring out not only a bubble strategy, but where would the least amount of COVID in incidents be around the, the NHL and picking Toronto and Edmonton who were very aggressive in terms of making sure to the NHL that they would be prepared to do this. That's number one. Number two, I think the NHL is going to continue to be extremely thoughtful about the fans. Um, I think that there's a plan in place, obviously, as the pandemic fades and hopefully we get therapeutics and a vaccine sooner rather than later. But the NHL is really working hard to make sure that during these playoffs, there's excitement not only on the ice, but excitement in the arena. And I think you're going to see the NHL do some very innovative things, borrowing from perhaps overseas what's been done, but also some things that they've come up with. So I, I applaud the creativity of the NHL. But at first, second, last, for me, as an owner of the New York Islanders, I want the players to feel safe on and off the ice during the tournament. So far, so good. Zero COVID uh, positives last week from the NHL. So that's a, a really good sign going into this. Uh, John, always a pleasure to speak with you. And, and, and Tim, it, it was a pleasure speaking with you about this as well. And hopefully uh, we can do this again down the road as uh, construction, you know, uh, continues to progress. Anytime. And I'm proud to be part of your community. And we're looking forward to being part of the Long Island community. Thank you. So uh, a lot to digest from uh, Mr. Ledecky and Lewicki there, and I uh, appreciate them hopping on with me and, uh, and chatting about UBS Arena, uh, the new uh, bank at, at Belmont, uh, as it were. Um, so I really appreciate chatting with those two. And now uh, from, from John Ledecky and Tim Lewicki, uh, we're we're gonna bring on Jim Baumbach, my uh, Newsday uh, teammate, colleague, and uh, friend, who's been on Island Ice a few times. He's been all over the arena situation. So I, I thought if I was gonna talk to uh, John Ledecky and Tim Lewicki, I, I should talk to uh, Jim Baumbach about his thoughts on naming it UBS Arena and and everything else going on in the arena world. And I'm joined now by a Newsday colleague and friend, uh, Jim Baumbach, who has been following the Islanders arena saga for, what are we talking about now, four decades, five decades, something like that, Jim? It does go back that long. It, it feels like, uh, you know, the place was built in 1972 and like 1974, they're like, oh, we need a new arena. It's old. It's outdated. No, <laughs> no I, I, I go back 2007, I think was my first year doing a story on it, but uh some might say that's four decades in arena in arena years. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly the with all the twists and turns this has gone through, that's that's a lot of dog years going on. You're you're very familiar with Tim Lewicki and John Ledecky and have had a lot of interactions with them. So 
you know, if we can start at the end and you put a bow on this, what 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 is the reaction to UBS Arena and getting that deal done? And you know, seemingly this this long saga is we we're talking about really having a, you know some real light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah, I mean, I think the reaction to UBS Arena, if you're an Islander fan, is that you know, hey, go get as much money as you can because that's. Uh, theoretically, logically, you know, less money they're going to be asking for for tickets or whatever. I mean, this is, you know, Lewicki and and Lodecki both admit this is the biggest deal they're ever going to make uh, capitalizing on the arena. So, hey, you're an Islander fan, you know, get get as much. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, naming rights are are a big-time deal. It's funny, like, when you think back to naming rights, I mean, I think we're going back, like, maybe 20, 25 years when it really was starting to take off. And and at the time, it was such a, a... necessary evil and people were so mad about it and then i remember even when city field came about there was a lot of big uproar obviously there was the bank balance at the time but now it's like it, it was more of like a like a parlor game like what's it going to be you know it, you know anyone who thinks it was going to be you know nasa coliseum west or something like that you know it, it's not realistic and um so at the end of the day it was really well who's going to step out it, it, is it going to be someone that's a local company or is it going to be this national and and you know what i mean if you had picked ubs arena before that naming came out i mean more power to you because that definitely was out of left field for me and 20 years too so one of my pet peeves is it seems like the senator's home rink which you know opened in the mid 90s and was a dump you know within seven or eight years you know sorry everyone in ottawa but that thing seems to have a new name every like three or four seasons. So, you know, I'm 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 enjoying the you know twenty years. That hopefully, knock on wood, will get me through the rest of my career covering the Islanders, and I, I don't have to worry about any arena name changes here. It is funny when you think about that because there are those stadiums. I mean, the Chicago White Sox comes to mind. It feels like that's changed names a couple times. Uh, And maybe maybe it's just because if if it changes twice, we were like, what happened? And you know, names you know names are not supposed to change. It's supposed to be the name of the arena. And I think you're you're onto something there. I mean, 20 years is a significant amount of time. It means that they obviously UBS obviously believes this arena not only is going to weather the pandemic starting it out because obviously it's a it's a it's a rough start out of the gate but obviously they they feel this is uh it's it's going to be competitive in a very uh, you know busy crowded market for arenas and and for them to put their name on it you know not for two not for five not for, no, for 20 uh you know that that's that's a significant uh, commitment. Uh, you know, 20 years seems to be the going rate uh, for long-term deals for arenas. I, I believe that's what Citibank uh, gave to City Field. Um, you know, so I, I think that's pretty much as long as you can expect and what they're going to uh, unveil. So, I mean, I think that's, as you said, as, as positive as a, as a development as you can come up with. And I think I've actually got an out of the the, habit, the first day of this i had to keep reminding me myself not usb not usb you know, not, <laughs> yeah. not, not the cord you know the uh, the little thing you stick into your your, your laptop yeah. now it's ubs yeah. You know. yeah and and it's not ups either it's uh, right. <laughs> ubs i was gonna say i mean it, it is you know obviously you know banking names seem to be uh, the, a trend in the New York City area. You have Barclays, you have NYCB Live, even Stony Brook. I threw that in the story. Stony Brook's arena is like Island Federal Credit Union, uh, obviously City Field. Uh, but, 
you know, we're, we're at a point in time where we're no longer like fists in the air about naming rights. And hey, UBS Arena has, it has it kind of rolls off the tongue. I mean, it's not it's not it's not horrific. You know, I, I think it's it's best of both worlds for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I, I was I was fine with it when they announced it. You know, obviously, I, I guess I'm still a little old school, and I understand it's always going to be a corporate name. But I love you know the old arenas that were you know not corporate names. You know, Yankee Stadium was just so plain and simple, but but perfect. But uh, it's another day and age. And speaking of another day and age, you know, you, you talked about the millions of dollars, and obviously. When Scott Malkin and John Ledecky purchased the Islanders, the, the team was on, you know, a solid financial footing. But is is there any way to quantify the leaps and bounds, you know, in the valuation of this franchise going into UBS Arena with this 20-year uh, corporate sponsorship for, for naming and just the money that a new arena will attract, you know, with the hope that, you know, at some point when they open the arena, the pandemic is, you know, at least alleviated in some way and fans can come in and, you know, more revenue comes in. But is there any way to quantify how much more solid the Islanders are financially right now and how their value is skyrocketing? Yeah, I mean, that that is a great point. I mean, that is, you know, obviously Ledecky talks often about how, you know, they are – you know, basically the caregivers of the franchise, that there will be owners after them, there were owners before them. But they're, you know, barring Stanley Cups, and obviously that that's where they they want, but barring, uh, you know, you know a string of Stanley Cups, they're going to be known for, for getting this uh, team, this franchise, their own home, something they've been going after for for years, and getting them on, on financial uh, strong footing. And, and, you know, yes, they were on – stable footing financially before uh, the Malkin group came in. Uh, but that was only on a short-term plan, because if you think back to when they moved to Brooklyn, they had that really uh, outrageously weird deal where they were getting paid, I think it was $53.5 million flat fee, and they gave up all their rights. And basically what that was was that was a lifesaver. I mean, you know, Charles Wong for years was, was throwing in his own money. Then obviously he got to the point where he said this is not sustainable. So then they cut everything down to a bare minimum, you know, uh, player salaries included, and it, it tried to build it up. And that was obviously a very, very slow process. And it got to the point where financially they were they were in, in tough spots, obviously not in, in desperate need of it, like, you know, going bankrupt or anything, but that he wanted out, uh, clearly. And uh, and the Brooklyn deal saved them for a couple of years. It, you know, even though it was a, a long-term deal, it basically w- was a short-term uh, saving in the sense of getting them on equal footing. And then for the Malcolm Group to come in, you know, and John Ledecky and then minority owner Dewey Shea and obviously, you know, Wong retained uh, minority ownership. But this group was able to, you know, get them out of this lease. They had the opt-out, get them a new arena. And now, I mean, they, they are a legitimate New York City franchise. And I don't think you ever really could say that, you know, you probably have to go back to the 80s uh, to say yeah. that they were a legitimate, you know, New York City, you know, a competitive uh, franchise. And, I'm, and when I say competitive, I mean, I mean financially. I mean, that, that's that's where we're headed with this, and and that's and that's what a deal like they get with UBS. They, they would not have gotten this, you know, in, in a previous life. Obviously, they didn't have a ring in a previous life. But this this is a, a, a testament to where they are financially right now. And, and my guest right now is uh, Jim Bombach, my uh, Newsday teammate, and, and Jim. 
we were chatting a little bit off off air about this, but it's very interesting that Tim Laiwiki is a part of this and, you know, uh, a part of this uh, saving grace for the Islanders. It, it, can you, can you go, go through the, uh, the twists and turns of Laiwiki's uh, relationship to and against the Islanders? Yeah, it, it's, it's really funny because, uh, you know, when you think back to the lighthouse project and, and uh, you know, there was like several chapters to the whole lighthouse project. And one of the chapters was, well, Wong won't criticize the town of Hempstead. Obviously, we forgot about that because then he went gangbusters on the town of Hempstead. But one of them, uh, when he finally uh, spoke up, he spoke up through this exhibition game, plan, preseason exhibition planned to take place in Kansas City. And essentially, it was a threat game. It was to say, hey... We have options, Town of Hempstead, but where was he going to go play? He was going to go play at the Sprint Center, this arena run, built and run by Tim Laiwiki uh, through AEG at the time, and basically they were out to get a hockey team. That was what their stated goal was. And uh, they, they almost had the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now we're going back a long time now. Uh, they thought they had the Pittsburgh Penguins, if memory serves right. And then the last-second deal, they got their arena, which is what I always thought was going to happen with the Coliseum. shows you what I know. And then, um, so so then the, the Islanders were in their next uh, best hope. And uh, Town of Hempstead, uh, I remember they uh, they fought back with their own little threat at the time. They scheduled the uh, the public hearing to take place on the same day. So basically, it forced all the Islanders supporters to uh, to stay in in Town of Hempstead to fight for the Lighthouse Project on this day. And basically, rather than focus, going to Kansas City, right? <laughs> right, and take the focus off the Kansas City game, the threat game. But I was one who went there. I remember. Going on a tour of the facility uh, with Scott Gordon, uh, who was the coach at the time, uh, and, and uh, Katie Strang was the, the in your seat at the time. I remember walking yep. the, with her, and um, but I remember also chasing Tim Lewicki. I remember that was the person you wanted to get that day because this was his show. I mean, he he wanted to show it off to to the Islanders. It ended up being a little disappointment. There were, the fans didn't really show that day. And at the end of the day, the Islanders weren't moving, clearly. But look at Tim Lewicki. I mean, in that time, he was the guy trying to steal away your Islanders. And here he is <laughs> a decade later. He's the guy who built your arena. I mean, it's just funny how these people, you know, and I mean, he, he knows it. I mean, he's been around, uh, you know, this, uh, the arena game uh, one many times. And he also knows the history of this, that this is a, this is a quite an accomplishment in professional sports world, arena world talk. Even more ironically, like Wiki may be part of saving the Coliseum for one last season of Islanders hockey, right? Because uh, Oakview <laughs> group, his, his, his Oakview group, Maybe uh, as you reported, quote unquote, interested in operating the Coliseum now that uh, Prokhorov's uh, Onexum, or however you pronounce that, um, is is trying to bail. So where are we with the Coliseum and and maybe Oakview Group there? No, that's a very good point. Is that not only is he saving, uh, not only did he build the islands their home, and I mean Oakview Group, which I mean three years ago I guess it was, we would have been like, what's Oakview Group? And now they're you know basically a, a part owner of the Belmont Arena. They're going to run it. The Islanders, Ledecky, when they bought the when Malkin, they were Oakview Group's first client for advisory purposes. They negotiated 
the deal to get them out of the Barclays Arena. They negotiated the deal to get them at the Coliseum half the time, now full-time. So, I mean, Oakview Group is a major, major player in, in this whole thing. And then they, they operate arenas. I mean, that's their thing. They operate indoor arenas. And they have, I think they have 25 of them around the country. So Coliseum comes up. You know, Onexum is definitely out. They're, they're trying to get out as much as possible. They owe $100 million on their, on their loan for the renovation. They don't want to pay that. Uh, they also owe $2 million to Nassau in back pay back till last January, which tells you something because that predates the pandemic. So it shows you a couple pre-pandemic, and the pandemic just, you know, obviously is a, is a grenade in their business. Uh, so basically, when Exum's out, uh, who's going to run this arena? Not many people want to come into this market and operate just the Coliseum. It's, it's a, you know, you're going up against giants, and that's part of the reason why I believe that Onexum wanted out, because they saw the writing on the wall, and they said as much as they believe the Coliseum has a future if they build up the Nassau Hub, that's now years off because of the pandemic. But here comes Oakview Group, who says, well, we can wait some years, and we can see uh, basically – some kind of synergy between the Coliseum and Belmont. You know, it can be an extension of Belmont. They they have basically told the col- the county. Now they don't want to take on the the the, the hundred million dollars uh, of debt. Yeah. So I mean, there's obviously a major uh, you know obstacle there. But if somehow the, the all the sides can figure out ways to get investors, Oakview Group wants to run it. They they said they'll help them out short term if that's just a year or two, or they'll do it long term. Uh, and and in a way, I think the county definitely sees this as a positive because now instead of worrying about the Coliseum getting hurt by Belmont, they can see it as a way to really capitalize on on, on the two working together. Now, the, the last time I had you on the uh, on the podcast, Jim, we were we were it was right after the Nassau Coliseum news broke that Prokhorov was bailing, and uh, at the time, I think the feeling was that they might have to wind up back in Brooklyn, although. I, 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 I'm not sure. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the solution. Now, what do you, where, where's your meter on where this all ends for the, uh, for the Islanders next season? The, the reason why um, I, I think you have to feel very optimistic about it happening at the, uh, the Coliseum is because that's what the county wants. That's what the Islanders want. And that's what Oakview wants, Oakview Group wants. So, and there's no Nassau hub development that's taking place in the next year. And, and that is going to be the catalyst for everything that's happening at the Coliseum site for, for the next you know, 10 to 20 years. So even if it's just on a short-term basis, I can see all sides working out a deal where Oakview Group runs it, and that allows for the Coliseum to host the Islanders for that last year. There's no egg on anyone's face about the Islanders having to go to Brooklyn. It just seems like everything's lined up. Now, obviously, I think you need to uh, preface anything you say about positive news of the Islanders, about their history with arenas, but we're in a different world now. I mean, they have their, they have their new home, and they have, they have professionals uh, you know, running the show every which way. Uh, it just seems like the train's really in, headed in that direction. I think the real question comes down to, uh, does Oakview Group end up being in a long-term spot with the Coliseum, uh, more so than a, a short-term spot? But it just it very much seems like the Coliseum is going to host that last. Uh, and you know what? Time's on their side because that, that season's obviously not starting on time. Yeah, no, I mean, right now the NHL hoping to start the 2021 season on December 1st, but with the way uh, coronavirus seems to be spiking around the country, to me that's a little wildly optimistic at this point just because you see the issues Major League Baseball is having 
when they have to travel around from town to town, and that's how the NHL is projecting to do it starting in December. I don't think they can, you know, play a full season in a bubble. So I, I think December might be a little optimistic at this point, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and, and I agree with you. You know, if Oakview Group gets involved with NASA Coliseum, there would be so much synergy and, you know, just coordination between running that arena and running UBS Arena at Belmont that, you know, it, that that seems to make the most sense. Yeah, no, and from the county's perspective, I mean, it's like a lifeline because, uh, you know, they, you know, again, this was a deal that the current county administration uh, had no part of. Uh, you know, they were not part of the, you know, this was a previous administration that decided to renovate it and downsize it and, and, and go with Barclays Center uh, management, which obviously, you know, ended up being sold and didn't include the, the Coliseum. So now they're on their island, literally, you know. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very tough spot to go up on in this crowded spot. The Onexon, when I've spoken to them about it, back when they thought that they had to play, it was all about being around for the Nassau Hub and development. And obviously that's not, that's, I mean, I, I think there's a chance it does come at some point in time, but it's not coming soon. It just seems like it's a lifeline. Um, and, and, you know, we talk about synergy. It's, it's also that, yes, they can get that big act every now and again because they can promise them a couple of nights at Belmont or, or, or something like that. But it's also they can get, um, more acts to go long term at the Coliseum and promise them that one day at Belmont, which is going to be a, a draw because everybody loves that that new arena. Now, obviously, there's a pandemic aspect of this that we don't know how it's going to play out. But you know, I mean, Lightwicky himself says that uh, you know they've studied this, and and if you look back at past. Uh, events in, in American history, things always come back booming after a short, short period of time. So this is a, they're clearly doubling down on, on the future of live entertainment. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like investing in zoom in January, you know, you'd be a millionaire. Now. So, Hey, one, one last one. Um, as we talk about UBS arena and uh, the work that Tim Laiwicki and John Ledeck and Scott Malkin have done, uh, there was a, uh, some reports on Twitter today. Uh, Darren Ravel reported that uh, actually he's crediting it to a, a trademark lawyer, Josh Gerben, saying that the Islanders have failed to trademark the bank and from the barn to the bank. So I guess they want to call UBS Arena the, the, the bank, which I guess makes some sense. And uh, also that the Islanders are, are filing a trademark, and this comes from uh, Daniel Wallach, uh, Islanders are filing a trademark for United as one uh, for use on face coverings and sanitary masks for protection against viral infection. <laughs> Any thoughts on naming, you know, trademarking a nickname of the bank rather than a, a an arena getting a nickname, you know, kind of organically? And what do you think of the bank? And what do you think about the Islanders thinking from the barn to the bank? I think this is yet another sign. I mean, we talked at the very beginning of this about how uh, they're a professional operation. Uh, I mean, this is another sign of just how uh, how professional they are. I mean, you know, it, it shows you that they are, are forward thinking. You know, some people might you know argue, oh, it's it's, it's capitalistic. It's uh, you know they're trying to uh, you know get every single dollar and protect their rights. Well, yes. I mean, it's a business. This is what they're trying to do. And, and you know, you're right. I mean, there's some people would look at it and say, you know, you want uh, an arena to get a nickname, uh, you know, or, organically. At the same time, I mean, you know. They, you know, they want to, 
they want to figure out how this, uh, you know, they want to go in, you know, out of the gate running. You know, there's my horse racing, uh, you know, reference. You know, I, I kind of respect them for it. I mean, you know, you remember my favorite uh, trademarking story of all time. Uh, I think the only time I really learned how to use the trademark uh, government website was uh, T-Boeing. You remember T-Boeing back in the day? When, yes, uh, yes. You know, do a deal and stuff. And I remember some, like, you know, college kid uh, trademarked it uh, or filed the application, and then Tim Tebow came along, you know, nine months later, or whatever, got his high-powered lawyers and said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, this is my, my name, this is my likeness, this is my thing, I'm, I'm going to get Tebowing, and the kid tried to sell it, you know, tried to make money <laughs> off it and stuff like that, and it was a, it was a cute, fun little story, but that's all came about because the kid was first. And it doesn't yeah. mean he was right, but he, he came first. And in this scenario, the Islanders, you want to be first. You don't want to uh, do that fight. And, and you know, people, I, I did see some Twitter, you know, reaction that first day. Uh, you know, people were saying, I'm going to call it Belmont. I'm going to call it, uh, you know, Islanders Arena. I'm going to call it the Coliseum, you know, stuff like that. And then some people said the bank. And then I did see uh, from the press conference, you know, Ledecky said, you know, we're going from the barn to the bank. And, you know, I thought it was a good line, you know, so it, yeah. it makes sense, you know. The, the face covering thing is, is interesting only in the sense that, you know, it, it makes you wonder how long this face covering thing is going to be around. And, and that's, I hate to say, I look through everything through the pandemic glasses, but like, you know, you wonder how long will we, will we be wearing masks? You know, how long will we be, uh, you know, uh, when will this vaccine come around? The fact that the Islanders are thinking along these lines, uh, you know, obviously it's forward thinking, but, you know, it also probably means that people think we're going to be wearing masks for a long time. And, and hey, at the end of the day, masks means, we, you know, not only are we not getting the coronavirus, we're also not getting the cold, we're not getting the stomach virus, we're not getting all those yeah. things, too. That's probably yeah. a good thing in the long run, too. Uh, but it does mean that they're they're forward thinking in, in many more ways than you and I right now. Yeah, and this is your uh, friendly PSA. Wear a mask, people, please. So, <laughs> and, you know, I was thinking, obviously, we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, corporate sponsorship and the money that comes in naming an arena at that. You know, the, the Islanders, if, if there was none of that, they could have just named this new arena the Barn at Belmont. And that would have been perfect to me, but you know, oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, I like that. that I like that. Yeah, it's funny yeah. because I, ne- you know, I've, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, you try to pick guess, and uh, you know, I, I had caught wind uh, the night before that the uh, the naming rights deal was happening. Um, so, like, yeah, you know, I think my wife asked me, like, what do you think it's going to be? And, uh, and I was th- joking, like, oh, it'll be another NYCB Live, because it feels like that's, like, you know, on, on, on several buildings, you know, but, like, just to, just to confuse people and stuff. But, like, it, it was hard to really, you know, because you, you try to think of, like, Long Island, you know. But, like, I, I didn't think of the horse racing aspect of it. And I, I do – you you were right. The barn, it, it, it's, it almost needs, like, the dairy barn or something like that. Like, you know, <laughs> you need – but that company's probably nowhere near the size of, yeah. that, that you need to uh, to do the outlay that UBS did. So. You, you know what the, the, the greatest turnaround of all time would have been is if the Islanders had someone – somehow gotten Gorton's and Gorton's fish sticks to, uh, to, to, to name the arena. So that, yeah. that, that, that would, <laughs> yeah, I read that. I, that goes back for me because that was like, <laughs> I, I guess I was, what was that? Mid nineties or so? It was like 94. Yeah. 95, 95 96, right in there. Okay. Yeah. Brett Lindros those years. So I remember, yeah. um, 
that's like uh, not to date myself, but I'm going to date myself. Uh, it, it basically, that was like the end of my high school years, beginning of my college years. And I, I mean, I was like prime growing up on on Long Island. I was a prime, you know. I was, a, you know, here's my uh, my Newsday ad. But I was I was like the Newsday reader. Like I remember getting off the school bus in elementary school, getting the paper. Uh, you know, when it was an afternoon paper, uh, you know, I, I loved reading it from, from forward to back, you know, or, or from back to front, I should say. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I remember, I still remember the image on the back page when they, uh, I, could, I could picture it to this day of, of when they changed the logo. And it's like, huh, it was like that reaction, <laughs> like, you know, well, this is interesting, you know. And, and I, I, I actually remember people wearing it in high school, even though, like, you know, people tried to give it a go. You know, I own their fans are hardcore, but it, it was, uh, yeah. it obviously was short-lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and w- which is funny because now all these years later, you know, something so ugly, it's pretty. Now yeah. it, it's almost like retro cool in a way yeah. at this point, although not quite there yet. But um, it, listen, it, if, only yeah, the go New ahead. Jersey Net, if, well, if only the New Jersey Nets uh, changed their name to Swamp Dragons, I think that's the only way that would have uh, offset that fisherman, you know, that, that, that rumored <laughs> name, you know, Swamp. I always wanted to see what that logo was going to be, the Swamp Dragons. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of difficult to place on a uh, – Hey, hey, look, I, I, I remember, you know, I was in high school. I remember when the uh, the Colorado Rockies moved to New Jersey and people were aghast. Uh, some people were, were aghast that they named the team the Devils. But, um, hey, listen, Jim, I, I, I really appreciate you taking your time and your insight with this. It, it, it is always so much fun to have you on Island Ice and uh, all the best to you and your family here. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. I enjoy talking to Arena. It's 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 strange, but uh, I mean, I, I you know, people are going to get mad at me for saying it because I'm gonna, I I don't want to you know jinx anything. But the story's almost over. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's decades long, and uh, it's not, you know it, they they've done the impossible. They've they've got their own new new arena. So yeah, and and we actually didn't even mention that uh, you know you saw pictures on social media that uh, you know the roof is going up. So that's, that's a tremendous sign of progress. Yeah, it's going to be fun. To, I mean, you know, the renderings are fun to look at. Uh, you know, it does it, it does seem like they really took into account uh, the whole Belmont look. I mean, it, it looks like it's going to really fit. And it, it's strange to say because Belmont hasn't changed in, in 50 years or whatever it is. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's, I think after a year it's going to feel like it was always there. That's the sense you get. Yeah, and uh, you know one thing, I, and I, I, I was lucky enough to be out at Belmont uh, in June, both for the stakes and the lead up to the stakes. And you know, I, I was standing basically with my back up, you know, against the Belmont grandstand and looking at the construction site. And I was, I guess, I was really shocked with how close that arena is. One one corner of that arena comes to the grandstand. I mean, I. It, to me, it was like within 80 yards. It, it, you know, it, it seemed like you could really throw a football, or, or if you had Dan Marino's arm, you could throw a football from from the grandstand and and hit against the uh, the arena. Well, uh, one of the rend- renderings has a, a shot of this outdoor, um, you know, like perch, and from what they say, that you can actually see the um, the, the racetrack from there. Obviously, I don't think you're going to see races going on. Maybe an afternoon game or. Whatever, yeah. but it just you know you're obviously going to be seeing something that you don't see in any other arena, so it's going to be unique in in many ways. I remember 
very early in this Belmont process, uh, taking the train to a Barclays game with Ledecky for a story. And, you know, basically they were drumming up interest in the fact that it can be accessible to the train. This is back when they weren't even awarded the rights. It was for when they were um, uh, competing with NYCFC and with uh, with a Costco uh, for the uh, the rights to uh, – it's, it's crazy to think back to. And that was only three years ago. But anyway, I remember him saying it, where the location is going to be and looking on the Google Maps and saying, how are they going to fit it there? You know, when I talked to arena people, they said, look, look at the Coliseum from that same view on, um, you know, on Google Maps. And, and you realize that arenas are not as big as you think they are, especially not compared to, like, baseball stadiums. Baseball stadiums yeah. are you know, 50,000 people. You know, these hold 20. It's, it's way smaller. You're right, it's tight, uh, but it, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, you know, it, it seems like it fits from from afar, obviously, right now. Yeah, and and I agree with you. The uh, you know the way it's going to look with the brickwork or you know the the front of it. It, it, it I think it will be a nice blend. And I, for one, you know uh, you know really anticipate you know being there on opening night and hopefully getting some pre-opening night tours, which I'm I'm sure you'll be all over as well but uh jim bombach again thank you so much for your time and uh hopefully we'll uh get you back soon with uh you know whatever whatever comes next with us sounds good thanks for having me so thanks again to uh jim bombach for giving me that time and discussing uh those arena matters and uh thank you again uh to my special guests uh islanders co-owner John Ledecky and Oakview Group Executive Officer Tim Lywicki, and a special, special thanks uh, to all of you for listening and and making uh, you know what we do here at Island Ice so much fun uh, to get this information out to you. And thank you for your patience through 141 days of no hockey. That is finally about to end. And uh, I, I hope everyone enjoys that. Uh, until the next episode, uh, please follow me on Twitter. That's Andrew Gross at A Gross Newsday. And you can find uh, everything I write about uh, the Islanders plus all the back podca- podcasts. And that's on uh, newsday.com backslash sports. There's an Islanders page. Uh, Uh, You can go to everything, or you can find Island Ice wherever podcasts can be found, Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, uh, SoundCloud, wherever it is, we are there. Until the next episode, be well, stay healthy, everyone, and finally, 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 here's to some happy hockey.